0: section twenty of the genius by theodore dreiser this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter twenty eugene carried home with him not only a curiously deepened feeling for angela due to their altered and more intimate relationship but moreover a growing respect for her family old jothan was so impressive a figure of a man his wife so kindly and earnest. Their attitude toward their children and to each other was so sound, and their whole relationship to society so respectable. Another observer might have been repelled by the narrowness and frugality of their lives, but Eugene had not known enough luxury to be scornful of the material simplicity of such existence. Here he had found character, poetry of location, poetry of ambition youth, and happy prospects. These boys, so sturdy and independent, were sure to make for themselves such places in the world as they desired. Marietta, so charming a girl, could not but make a good marriage. Samuel was doing well in his position with a railroad company. Benjamin was studying to be a lawyer, and David was to be sent to West Point. He liked them for their familiar sterling worth and they all treated him as the destined husband of Angela. By the end of his stay, he had become as much en rapport with the family as if he had known it all his life. Before going back to New York, he had stopped in Chicago, where he had seen Howe and Matthews grinding away at their old tasks, and then for a few days in Alexandria, where he found his father busy about his old affairs, sewing machines were still being delivered by him in person and the long roads of the country were as briskly traversed by his light machine carrying buggy as in his earliest days eugene saw him now as just a little futile and yet he admired him his patience his industry the brisk sewing machine agent was considerably impressed by his son's success and was actually trying to take an interest in art one evening coming home from the post office he pointed out a street scene in alexandria as a subject for a painting eugene knew that art had only been called to his father's attention by his own efforts he had noticed these things all his life no doubt but attached no significance to them until he had seen his son's work in the magazines if you ever paint country things you ought to paint cook's mill over here by the falls "'That's one of the prettiest things I know anywhere,' he said to him one evening, trying to make his son feel the interest he took. Eugene knew the place. It was attractive, a little branch of bright water running at the base of a forty-foot wall of red sandstone, and finally tumbling down a fifteen-foot declivity of gray, mossy stones. It was close to a yellow road, which carried a good deal of traffic, and was surrounded by a company of trees which ornamented it and sheltered it on all sides eugene had admired it in his youth as beautiful and peaceful it is nice he replied to his father i'll take a look at it some day Whitla senior felt set up his son was doing him honor mrs Whitla, like her husband was showing the first notable traces of the flight of time the crow's feet at the sides of her eyes were deeper the wrinkles in her forehead longer. At the sight of Eugene, the first night she fairly thrilled, for he was so well-developed now, so self-reliant, had come through his experiences to a kind of poise which she realized was manhood. Her boy, requiring her careful guidance, was gone. This was someone who could guide her, tease her as a man would a child. "'You've got so big I hardly know you,' she said as he folded her in his arms no you're just getting little ma i used to think i'd never get to the point where you couldn't shake me but that's all over isn't it you never did need much shaking she said fondly myrtle who had married frank bangs the preceding year had gone with her husband to live in Otumwa, iowa where he had taken charge of a mill so eugene did not see her but he spent some little time with sylvia now the mother of two children. Her husband was the same quiet, conservative plotter Eugene had first noted him to be. Revisiting the office of the appeal, he found that John Summers had recently died. Otherwise, things were as they had been. Jonas Lyle and Caleb Williams were still in charge, quite the same as before. Eugene was glad when his time was up, and he took the train back to Chicago with a light heart again as on his entrance to chicago from the east and on his return to it from blackwood he was touched keenly by the remembrance of ruby she had been so sweet to him his opening art experiences had in a way been centered about her but in spite of all he did not want to go out and see her or did he he asked himself this question with a pang of sorrow for in a way he cared he cared for her as one might care for a girl in a play or a book she had the quality of a tragedy about her she her life her surroundings her misfortune in loving him constituted an artistic composition he thought he might be able to write a poem about it sometime he was able to write rather charming verse which he kept to himself he had the knack of saying things in a simple way and with feeling making you see a picture the trouble with his verse was that it lacked as yet any real nobility of thought it was not as final an understanding as it might have been he did not go to see ruby the reason he assigned to himself was that it would not be nice she might not want him to now she might be trying to forget and he had angela it really wasn't fair to her but he looked over toward the region in which she lived as he traveled out of the city eastward and wished that some of those lovely moments he had spent with her might be lived again back in new york life seemed to promise a repetition of the preceding year with some minor modifications in the fall eugene went to live with machugh and smite the studio they had consisting of one big working room and three bedrooms they agreed that they could get along together and for a while it was good for them all. The criticism they furnished each other was of real value, and they found it pleasant to dine together, to walk, to see the exhibitions. They stimulated each other with argument, each having a special point of view. It was much as it had been with Howe and Matthews in Chicago. During this winter Eugene made his first appearance in one of the leading publications of the time, Harper's Magazine he had gone to the art director with some proofs of his previous work and had been told that it was admirable if some suitable story turned up he would be considered later a letter came asking him to call and a commission involving three pictures for a hundred and twenty-five dollars was given him he worked them out successfully with models and was complimented on the result his associates cheered him on also for they really admired what he was doing he set out definitely to make Scribner's and The Sentry, as getting into those publications was called, and after a time he succeeded in making an impression on their respective art directors, though no notable commissions were given him. From one he secured a poem rather out of his mood to decorate, and from the other a short story, but somehow he could not feel that either was a real opportunity. He wanted an appropriate subject, or to sell them some of his scenes. Building up a paying reputation was slow work. Although he was being mentioned here and there among artists, his name was anything but a significant factor with the public or with the art directors. He was still a promising beginner, growing, but not yet arrived by a long distance. There was one editor who was inclined to see him at his real worth, but he had no money to offer this was richard wheeler editor of craft a rather hopeless magazine in a commercial sense but devoted sincerely enough to art wheeler was a blond young man of poetic temperament whose enthusiasm for eugene's work made it easy for them to become friends it was through wheeler that he met that winter miriam finch and christina channing two women of radically different temperaments and professions who opened for Eugene two entirely new worlds. Miriam Finch was a sculptor by profession, a critic by temperament, with no great capacity for emotion in herself, but an intense appreciation of its significance in others. To see her was to be immediately impressed with a vital force in womanhood. She was a woman who had never had a real youth or a real love affair, but clung to her ideal of both with a passionate almost fatuous faith that they could still be brought to pass. Wheeler had invited him to go round to her studio with him one evening. He was interested to know what Eugene would think of her. Miriam, already thirty-two when Eugene met her, a tiny brown-haired, brown-eyed girl, with a slender, rather cat-like figure, and a suavity of address and manner which was artistic to the fingertips. She had none of that budding beauty that is the glory of eighteen but she was altogether artistic and delightful her hair encircled her head in a fluffy cloudy mass her eyes moved quickly with intense intelligence feeling humor sympathy her lips were sweetly modelled after the pattern of cupid's bow and her smile was subtly ingratiating her sallow complexion matched her brown hair and the drab velvet or corduroy of her dress there was a striking simplicity about the things she wore, which gave her a distinctive air. Her clothes were seldom fashionable, but always exceedingly becoming, for she saw herself as a whole and arrayed herself as a decorative composition from head to foot, with a sense of fitness in regard to self and life. To such a nature as Eugene's, an intelligent, artistic, self-regulating, and self-poised human being, was always intensely magnetic and gratifying. He turned to the capable person as naturally as a flower turns toward the light, finding a joy in contemplating the completeness and sufficiency of such a being. To have ideas of your own seemed to him a marvelous thing. To be able definitely to formulate your thoughts and reach positive and satisfying conclusions was a great and beautiful thing. From such personalities, Eugene drank admirably until his thirst was satiated, and then he would turn away. If his thirst for what they had to give returned, he might come back, not otherwise. Hitherto all his relationships with personages of this quality had been confined to the male sex, for he had not known any woman of distinction. Beginning with Temple Boyle, instructor in the life class in Chicago, and Vincent Beers, instructor in the illustration class, he had encountered successfully Jerry Matthews, Mitchell Goldfarb, Peter McHugh, David Smite, and Jotham Blue, all men of intense personal feeling and convictions, and men who had impressed him greatly. Now he was to encounter for the first time some forceful, really exceptional women of the same caliber. Stella Appleton, Margaret Duff, ruby kenny and angela blue were charming girls in their way but they did not think for themselves they were not organized self-directed self-controlled personalities in the way that miriam finch was she would have recognized herself at once as being infinitely superior intellectually and artistically to any or all of them while entertaining at the same time a sympathetic appreciative understanding of their beauty fitness equality of value in the social scheme she was a student of life a critic of emotions and understanding with keen appreciative intelligence and yet longing intensely for just what stella and margaret and ruby and even angela had youth beauty interest for men the power or magnetism or charm of face and form to compel the impetuous passions of a lover she wanted to be loved by someone who could love madly and beautifully and this had never come to her miss finch's home or rather studio was with her family in east twenty-sixth street where she occupied a north room on the third floor but her presence in the bosom of that family did not prevent her from attaining an individuality and exclusiveness which was most illuminating to eugene her room was done in silver brown and gray with a great wax-festooned candlestick fully five feet high standing in one corner and a magnificent carved chest of early flemish workmanship standing in another there was a brown combination writing-desk and bookshelf which was arrayed with some of the most curious volumes pater marius the epicurean daudet wives of men of genius richard jeffrey's story of my heart stevenson's ease triplex the casida of richard burton the house of life by dante gabriel rossetti also sprock zarathusta by frederick Nietzsche. the fact that they were here after he had taken one look at the woman in the room was to eugene sufficiently proof that they were important he handled them curiously reading odd paragraphs nosing about looking at pictures and making rapid notes in his mental notebook this was someone worth knowing he felt that he wanted to make a sufficiently favorable impression to be permitted to know her better miriam finch was at once taken with eugene there was such an air of vigor inquiry appreciation and understanding about him that she could not help being impressed he seemed somewhat like a lighted lamp casting a soft shaded velvety glow he went about her room after his introduction looking at her pictures her bronzes and clays asking after the creator of this the painter of that where a third thing came from i've never heard of one of these books he said frankly when he looked over the small specially selected collection there are some very interesting things here she volunteered coming to his side his simple confession appealed to her he was like a breath of fresh air Richard Wheeler, who had brought him in, made no objection to being neglected. He wanted her to enjoy his find. "'You know,' said Eugene, looking up from Burton's Cashida, and into her brown eyes, "'New York gets me dizzy. It's so wonderful.' "'Just how?' she asked. "'It's so compact of wonderful things. I saw a shop the other day full of old jewelry and ornaments and quaint stones and clothes, and, oh, heaven!' i don't know what all more things than I had ever seen in my whole life before and here in this quiet side street and this unpretentious house i find this room nothing seems to show on the outside everything seems crowded to suffocation with luxury or art value on the inside are you talking about this room she ventured why yes he replied take note mr wheeler she called over her shoulder to her young editor friend this is the first time in my life that I have been accused of possessing luxury. When you write me up again, I want you to give me credit for luxury. I like it.' "'I'll certainly do it,' said Wheeler. "'Yes, art values, too. Yes, art values, I have it,' said Wheeler. Eugene smiled. He liked her vivacity. "'I know what you mean,' she added. "'I felt the same thing about Paris. You go into little unpretentious places there and come across such wonderful things—heaps and heaps of fine clothes, antiques, jewels. Where was it I read such an interesting article about that?" "'Not in craft, I hope,' ventured Wheeler. "'No, I don't think so. Harper's Bazaar, I believe.' "'Oh, pshaw!' exclaimed Wheeler. Harper's Bazaar? What rot! But that's just what you ought to have. Why don't you do it? Right?' "'I will,' he said. Eugene went to the piano. And turned over a pile of music. Again, he came across the unfamiliar, the strange, the obviously distinguished: Greg's Arabian Dance, Svartanfram by Lassen, Elegy by Massenet, O by Davydov, Nymphs and Shepherds by Purcell, things whose very titles smacked of color and beauty: Gluck, Gambati, Rossini, Tchaikovsky, the Italian Scarlatti. Eugene marveled at what he did not know about music. "'Play something,' he pleaded, and with a smile, Miriam stepped to the piano. "'Do you know Esvar Eintram? she inquired. "'No,' said he. "'That's lovely,' put in Wheeler. "'Sing it.' Eugene had thought that possibly she sang, but he was not prepared for the burst of color that came with her voice. It was not a great voice, but sweet and sympathetic, equal to the tasks she set herself. She selected her music as she selected her clothes, to suit her capacity. The poetic, sympathetic reminiscence of the song struck home. Eugene was delighted. Oh, he exclaimed, bringing his chair close to the piano and looking into her face. You sing beautifully. She gave him a glittering smile. Now I'll sing anything you want for you, if you go on like that. I'm crazy about music, he said. I don't know anything about it but i like this sort of thing you like the really good things i know so do i he felt flattered and grateful they went through o Tiddy, the nightingale elegy the last spring music eugene had never heard before but he knew at once that he was listening to playing which represented a better intelligence a keener selective judgment a finer artistic impulse than any one he had ever known had possessed Ruby played, and Angela, the latter rather well, but neither had ever heard of these things he was sure. Ruby had only liked popular things, Angela, the standard melodies, beautiful but familiar. Here was someone who ignored popular taste, was in advance of it. In all her music, he had found nothing he knew. It grew on him as a significant fact. He wanted to be nice to her, to have her like him so he drew close and smiled and she always smiled back like the others she liked his face his mouth his eyes his hair he's charming she thought when he eventually left and his impression of her was of a woman who was notably and significantly distinguished end of section 20